Hello everyone, I'm Farva Amir and I'm a research analyst with the Simpson Center. Today I'm joined by someone whose work I've closely followed over the last couple of years and he continues to inspire me with his sharp intellect, well-roundedness and just simply with the amount of work he does. So let's welcome leading global strategy advisor, world traveler and best-selling author Dr. Parag Khanna who's also out with a new book called Move. Welcome Parag, thank you for joining me. Thank you Farva, great to be with you. So, Parag, let's begin with some of the recent happenings. As the dust settles from COP26, how are you looking at the results? While the Glasgow Pact is indeed commendable, do you think there, be, there may be more ambition there than real progress in terms of the global fight against climate change? Well, neither was the ambition enough nor the progress that will result from it enough. So I would say overall it was disappointing. Also, it focused, uh, obviously, and predictably on mitigation, meaning how do we reduce emissions, decarbonize industries, and so forth, which is very important. But they didn't talk nearly enough about adaptation. At the very end, adaptation came up, and there was a talk of, or, you know, a, a sort of a desire for 50% of the 100, million, 100 billion desired in uh, climate support to be focused on adaptation. But again, we don't really, no one really believes that that money is going to be forthcoming. So I still think there's a big imbalance between mitigation and adaptation. And I believe that we need more emphasis on adaptation. Excellent. That's a very helpful analysis. Um, and I now want to uh, direct our conversation to move. I'm always eager to learn more and more about water playing its role in the various facets of human life. And in MOVE, you touch upon how climate change and water stress will be directing migration patterns going forward. I would love for you to shed some light on that. What are some of your predictions with regards to climate or water-induced migration and related challenges that we should be preparing for, especially when we are already seeing such patterns developing in regions like um, MENA and South Asia? We most certainly are. And a couple of points here. First is that the number of climate migrants or people who have who are displaced for reasons related to climate change now is greater than the number of political asylum seekers or economic migrants. And that's the case for this century. And of course, that gap is going to grow and grow. The second point is that this is a global phenomenon. It affects rich and poor countries alike, although you've mentioned, obviously, some of the already uh, developing and, and uh, you know, climate stressed regions from which a larger number of migrants are going to emerge. On the specific geographies, um, what I do in the book is to go geographically around the world and look at some of the origin and destination pairings. And of course, there are certain geographic gravities to this. I foresee a lot more Africans moving within Africa to Central Africa, for example, where there are certain uh, watersheds and, and, uh, and, and you know, ecological systems that can support life better than other parts of Africa can. Of course, more African migrants trying to make it across the Mediterranean, more Arabs and Persians moving north into Eastern Anatolia, more South Asians moving north towards Central Asia, uh, new population shifts into Russia and the far east of Russia, and so on and so forth. So I go geographically and look at whether or not these places are suitable or capable of absorbing greater populations, because I do believe that those moves are inevitable. Okay, perfect. Now, this is something that uh, you know we have been following also very much. And now that through your book, which is an, an excellent resource for someone like me, who um, is so vested in the idea of water security and how it's impacting human life. So uh, just because we have a minute left here uh, and we can dive into it, 
Do you see any economic or socioeconomic uh, challenges coming from this as well? Plenty, of course, because there's such an enormous adjustment process that needs to be made. We have to reorient our fiscal planning, our expenditure, even our social priorities around the realities of mass climate migrations and what it's going to mean. We have to adapt our infrastructure, of course, as well, so that when you're bringing in more people, it's not being done you know, in terms of the same wastefulness of our uh, current, you know, uh, real estate models and so forth. So we have to do a lot more with affordable housing, a lot more, a lighter footprint, if you will. I call this civilization 3.0, in which mobility is coupled with sustainability. And I think about, you know, sort of movable housing, movable cities even, and certainly more uh, circular infrastructure. If you think about um, wastewater treatment and rainwater collection, hydroponic uh, agriculture, um, solar and wind power, and these kinds of things are the ways in which we can have a larger populations in sustainable places, but to do so in a way with a lighter footprint. And that's ultimately what we need to focus our investments around. Thank you so much for your time and your brilliant insights, Varag. It was incredible speaking with you. And to everyone listening, if you aren't following Parag yet, you're missing out. Thanks. Thank you so much.